If you listen to Nick Saban, you listen to people around the program, there is a growing sentiment that if a guy hops under the portal at quarterback, they would strongly consider maybe adding somebody to that quarterback competition. A lot of trends in the SEC that are going to hopefully come to an end. You'll hear about them in just a minute because there are a few that are eye-opening, including one in which one of the highest-paid coaches in America has only beaten one team that won nine games in the regular season. A lot that we need to get to for sure, but some trends that are hopefully coming to an end in 23. But I'll be honest with you, there's a few that I'm not so sure are going to be concluded here at any point this season. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Always College Football. Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Jack Foster alongside Jake's with us as well. Great show today. Going to hit those trends that I just referenced. We're going to dive into the mailbag. And if you didn't get a chance to see what went down last week, you need to check out John Rice Plumley, the quarterback and baseball player, Right now, he's more of a baseball player than a quarterback. It is the spring season after all, but he goes straight from a baseball game in which he has a couple hits into their spring game where he throws for, gosh, 270 and a 70-yard bomb. So a lot that we need to get to with John Rice Plumley. He joins the show a little later on as well. One of the coolest transformations you'll ever see. We'll talk about it here in just a minute. But before we do, let's get to some of those trends in the SEC that will hopefully be coming to an end very, very soon. Want to start this segment by giving a ton of credit to Saturday Down South. They do a great job. I go to it all the time. It's a terrific resource for me. It's part of my daily routine. I hit the athletic. I hit Saturday Down South. I hit 247. I hit all these I hit ESPN, CBS, Fox. You name it, I hit it. I have 10 tabs open every day that I check and they are always at the top of my list. So Saturday Down South, I want to give tremendous credit for this because I found this really interesting. Look, there are seven strange but true SEC droughts that I think could come to an end this season. Now, Connor O'Gara is the person that actually came up with this idea, so I want to give full credit to him. But he went through and found droughts and I wanted to kind of weigh in as to whether or not I think they could come to an end as well. Let's start with number one. And this one, the, some of these, by the way, if you haven't read the article or you haven't listened to some of the breakdowns of these, you're going to be as surprised as I was. Upon first glance, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, there's absolutely no way that this is possible. But it is. Georgia has not had... A thousand yard receiver since 2002. And that's the only thousand yard receiver ever. That is crazy. It's crazy when you really think about that because I think back to when AJ Green, uh, I mean, gosh, George Pickens, um, Mikol Hardman. I mean, they, they've had good wideouts. Riley Ridley. I mean, a bunch of them. A bunch of really good wideouts. Even the last couple years, Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers almost got there last year, by the way. Got to 942. So does that count? Yeah, because he's a 1,000-yard receiver, even though he plays tight end. It's pretty crazy when you think about the fact that Georgia, 
for as dynamic as they've been in winning ball games, they have not morphed to the point in which they've been an elite passing team. Even with Matthew Stafford and Stetson Bennett and great quarterbacks that have played for Georgia in the last two decades, it's still crazy to me that there's only one receiver, that's Terrence Edwards, that has ever gone over the 1,000-yard mark, and that was 20 years ago. Look at where things are right now, though, okay? We know that Georgia traditionally has been in the mix for running back you with Sean and Gurley and Marino and Chubb and Tony Michelle and DeAndre Swift and uh, all James Cook and all the great ones that have come through in the last handful of years. But the receivers aren't quite at the same level as the running backs have been. That could all change this year. Now, am I going to go as far as to predict a thousand yard receiver this year? Yes. I might take it one step further. You ready for this mind-blowing prediction? This is bold now. I think Georgia has 2,000-yard receivers this year. Now, you're going to say, well, Brock Bowers almost got there last year. Yes, I think he gets there again. I expect this offense to primarily base out of shotgun. I I expect this offense to primarily base out of three receiver sets and 11 personnel. So one tight end, one running back, three receivers. Now, they're going to spread the ball around. Oscar Delp, uh, you know, Lawson Lucky. There's a few other guys that they're very excited about. But uh, there's two guys that have a chance to go over. One is Brock Bowers. The other is Dominic Lovett, the transfer from Missouri. Huge believer in his ability. And if they can create the isolations over on the outside, he's going to have a million little catches across the middle where he's going to be able to catch it, turn up, and get 10 yards, 12 yards. 15 yards, et cetera. So Dominic Lovett, who I think is really going to be poised to have a huge breakthrough, would be the other. So I think this crazy streak comes to an end for the Georgia Bulldogs. Let's move to number two. The Texas A&M Aggies have not played in a conference championship game in the 21st century. Now, remember, A&M and Missouri jumped into the SEC the same exact year. And remember, Missouri has made not one, but two SEC championship games. And everyone wants to make fun of Texas A&M for the national title drought dating all the way back to 1939. All those things are understandable. But the fact that this team in the Big 12 never got to a conference championship game since 1998 is pretty wild. So they went 14 years in the Big 12 without getting to a conference championship game, and they've now been in the SEC for 10, and they have not been to a conference championship game. Now, when you get thrust into the SEC West, it's pretty tricky, at least in the last decade, knowing that in order to get to the conference title, you had to go through elite LSU teams, elite Alabama teams, great Auburn teams that were kind of scattered throughout the last decade. Obviously, Ole Miss and Mississippi State in the last decade have been as good and as consistent as they've ever been. So it's been tough sledding for the Aggies since they entered the fold. But I think that there are some moments, too, when you look at A&M, and they've kind of been your perennial underachiever. Last year, good example, start the season ranked in the top 10, only the underachieve and fall to a five and seven record before putting their best foot forward in their final game of the season. So AM's a difficult team to figure out. I think they bounced back this year, 
But will they ultimately get to Atlanta as winners of the SEC West? That's one that I think is almost impossible to project. I think that streak continues into a 26th season. Of course, 98, the last time they made the conference championship. Let's go to number three. Auburn has not had a top 40 passing offense. Top 40 passing offense since 1997. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Now, that to me, when I thought about Jason Campbell, when I thought about the great Auburn teams under Cam Newton, even Nick Marshall, I started to remember to myself, I'm like, you know what? Cam didn't exactly light it up through the air. Nick Marshall was a dynamic athlete, but not a crazy, efficient thrower. Thought Bo Nix might have maybe been in the top 40. Y'all, we're talking top 40 here. The top third of college football. It's not some crazy expectation. But the fact that they have not been in the top 40 since 1997 is pretty dang wild. Damian Craig, by the way, was the quarterback there in the 97 team in a really, really long time. You realize that they almost got there in 2004. That was when Jason Campbell, who I referenced earlier... He led the nation's 43rd best passing attack. It's pretty wild. Meanwhile, on the other side of the coin, Hugh Freeze now comes to Auburn. Hugh Freeze, of course, previously of Ole Miss, previously of Liberty. He has had five top 40 passing attacks at Ole Miss and Liberty. Will they immediately be able to turn things around at Auburn this year? I'm going to say this streak continues as well. Why? Not because of the quarterback spot. I think they have a chance to be okay there. I don't necessarily care if it's Holden Garner. Garner, I don't care if it's Robbie Ashford. I don't care if it's TJ Finley. It doesn't necessarily matter what the quarterback is because I don't know about the receivers. The receivers are as big of a question mark as any position group in the SEC. And like we've talked about before, you can't play quarterback by yourself. If your receivers aren't super dynamic, if your receivers aren't taking slants to the house, it's going to be hard to get into the top 40 in the country as it relates to passing attack, especially with how many teams are all in on throwing the ball all over the yard. So I think this streak continues. Auburn will not be a top 40 passing offense in year number one for Hugh Freeze. Let's move to number four. The Arkansas Razorbacks has not have not had a player hit double-digit sacks since 2011. Drew Sanders 
would have likely hit 10 sacks last year had he not opted out of the bowl game. He had just nine and a half in his one and only season in Fayetteville. Jake Beckett was the last guy to hit double-digit sacks. That was back in 2011. I played against Jake Beckett. He was a great player on the end of the line of scrimmage. It's kind of crazy. In the SEC alone, just in the SEC, there have been 27 players that have had double-digit sacks since Beckett did it in 11. And then you think about where Arkansas has been. They've had some pretty good edge rushers. They've had some pretty good defenders, some guys that could flat out get after you. But to think that they haven't had a guy eclipse double-digit sacks, I thought was pretty wild. It was really surprising, to be honest with you. Think about all the guys that have come through under Bielema and Pittman. The last 10 years, there have been a lot of really good defensive linemen. For for none of them to get into double-digit sacks, I thought was pretty dang surprising. So will this continue? It's anybody's guess. You look at Travis Williams, his history. Look, he's going to focus on the defensive line. Will he be able to get a double-digit guy that comes off the edge or internally? Based on personnel, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say this streak continues into 2024 and beyond. But I do think that this is a position where you just don't know until things get going in the fall. I mean, there's oftentimes a guy where like, yeah, I think this guy's got a chance. For instance, last year, talking to LSU before the first game of the season, like, yeah, this guy, Harold Perkins, I think he's got a chance to be a really good player for us, but I don't know if he's there just yet. And then boom, week 10 of the season, he's maybe the best defender in America, or at least one of the best young defenders in America. So this is a position that can surprise you. And I think Arkansas is going to need to surprise me for me to feel confident about them getting to double-digit sacks with at least one of their defensive linemen. Let's move on to number five. And this is one that I do think will come to an end. South Carolina has not had a quarterback drafted in the NFL draft since 1990. When they moved to seven rounds, they have not had a quarterback drafted. It's pretty wild when you really think about that because (laughs) Todd Ellis who is the radio play-by-play voice of the Gamecocks, was the last quarterback to be drafted in the NFL draft from South Carolina. That was in the 1990 NFL season. That was the ninth round of the NFL draft. Instead, he opted to return to Columbia, and that was three decades ago. Pretty crazy when you think about where things are with the South Carolina quarterback position. They've had some really good ones there in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, late-2000s under Steve Spurrier. You think about Steven Garcia, uh, a few other guys that were very statistically productive. And then you think about what Spencer Rattler did last year. Spencer Rattler will get drafted. Now, where? That is to be determined. But he definitely will at some point come off the board in the 2024 draft, assuming he comes out in the 2024 draft. So this one will come to an end. It's just a matter of whether or not it happens in 24 or if it happens in 25, if Rattler decides to take advantage of the additional COVID year. I don't know if he will, but if he does, he will be eligible in the 25 draft. Either way, he's getting drafted. That one will come to an end. Number six, Missouri has not won a power five game 
as an AP top 25 team since 2014. Now, in their defense, there have been three games where Missouri has been an AP top 25 team and played against a Power 5 team. That would be 2015 at Kentucky. They lost that game 21-13. That would be the 2018 Liberty Bowl against Oklahoma State. They lost that game 38-33. And then in 2019 at Vanderbilt, they lost 21-14. So those three teams that Mizzou lost to went a combined 6-19 and in conference play in those respective seasons. Yeah, that's pretty wild. It's pretty crazy when you think about Missouri. As soon as they crack the top 25, oh, here comes a power five opponent. Boom, they're going to lose. Now, Eli Drinkwitz has yet to play a game as an AP top 25 team. So it's a little bit difficult at this point to kind of figure out whether or not this streak will come to an end. I'm going to say it will not. This year, I have a difficult time forecasting Missouri getting into the top 25 or sustaining any type of run in the top 25. But either way, I am cautiously optimistic about them being a dangerous team, just like they were last year where they gave Georgia all they want. They did some nice things. I still think that this team has been a little bit inconsistent the last couple of years. And I think there's a possibility they could be a little bit inconsistent again. And you know what doesn't get to the top 25? Teams that are inconsistent. So I think Missouri stays on the outside looking into the top 25 this year. Therefore, this streak continues. And then finally... One of the, probably one of the biggest streaks that I was unaware of prior to reading this article. And once again, you can check this thing out at SaturdayDownSouth.com. Lane Kiffin has not defeated a Power 5 team that won nine regular season games since 2011. And the only one that he beat ever in his career was the 2011 Oregon Ducks. That was the only one that won nine regular season games that he beat in the Power Five. We can go through the whole list. 09 at Florida, lost. 09 at Alabama, lost. 09 at Virginia Tech, lost. 10 at Stanford, lost. 10 at Oregon, lost. 11 at Stanford, lost. Here's the win, 2011 at Oregon, where Oregon ultimately went on to play for the national championship. No, that was 10. Never mind. So the year after Oregon went on to play for the national championship. Either way, 12 at Stanford, lost. 12 at Oregon, lost. 12 at UCLA. 12 at Notre Dame. 13 at Arizona State. 17 at Wisconsin. 18 at Oklahoma. You just look at all these different examples of Lane Kiffin being the head coach at a particular school, playing against a Power 5 team, that school ultimately going on to win nine games in the regular season. So it's pretty wild, pretty wild to think that these wins haven't been more fruitful for Lane Kiffin. He's one in 19 lifetime against power five teams that won at least 19 games, nine regular season games, one in 19 for as good as Lane Kiffin is, that just hasn't necessarily led to a ton of success against really good teams in the regular season and or in bowl season. So pretty wild when you take that into account, but you also take into account last year. Let's take two teams that were very disappointing. Florida Gators, Texas A&M Aggies. Well, the Florida Gators beat Utah 
in Billy Napier's debut last year, that would qualify as one of these wins. The Texas A&M Aggies, how bad were they last year? Well, Jimbo Fisher led the Texas A&M Aggies to a win against the LSU Tigers in the final game of the regular season. That would qualify as a win. Shane Beamer has two wins to his credit last year. That would qualify. Tennessee and Clemson. Josh Heupel has three wins that would qualify last year. LSU, Alabama, and Clemson. Both got multiple wins against Power 5 teams that won at least nine games this past year. Yes, Mark Stoops has three such wins in Kentucky, uh, at Kentucky in the last five years. So it's going to be really important for Lane Kiffin to adjust and flip the script here. Now, let's be honest. Ole Miss has had... Ole Miss, Tennessee, and and USC in between. FAU also being in the mix here as well. Those are jobs that would necess- they wouldn't necessarily always be able to tackle teams that are going to win double digits. I get that. But still, that's one black eye on the resume that's been exceptional for Lane Kiffin over the course of his tenure. Will it come to an end in 2023? I think it does. I think Ole Miss has a chance to be really dangerous. And I think you look at who they have on their schedule, it wouldn't shock me if they pulled off a pretty significant upset at one point in the season. All right, great running through some of those trends, whether or not they're going to actually continue or if they're going to come to a close this year. Always fun to discuss those things, but it's also always fun to get to the mailbag. We appreciate all the questions you've sent us up to this point. Always college football at gmail.com, or you can visit us always CFB on our social media that's on Instagram and on Twitter. So submit your questions. We will get to them. We have a massive list of questions that we're going to get to over the course of the summer. So continue to send those in and we will get to them as soon as humanly possible. Cubes, where are we going today? All right. The first question comes from Joey in South Florida. He said, did you hear what Mario Cristobal said about his team could look different after the portal window opens? If you're on the roster when a coach says something like that, would you be more willing to transfer or wonder what your spot is on the team? Let's start with a couple things here. You always, as a player, you always want to be told, hey, we value you. Hey, we appreciate you. Hey, we, you know, we want, we'll do anything for you. You want to hear that. Okay. You absolutely want to hear that. So basically if I were a player on Miami's roster and you're going to sit there and say, Hey, you know what? We're not going to go to the portal for your position. We feel good about your contributions this fall. That would make me feel great. But guess what? This is not real. This is not real world. Like back in the day, yeah, you would have to massage some egos. But now, hey, you don't like it. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. We'll bring somebody in that is willing to compete for the job. And I think as a player at your core, you want to earn it. Some guys don't. I can't speak I can't speak to everybody. Some guys want to have it gift wrapped and handed to them. But most competitors, most people, people that you want on your roster expect to earn their position and expect to earn their playing time. Why? Because that's the way things are. You expect to earn it. Hey, I'm going to play 60 snaps in this game at defensive tackle because I earned it. Okay, I earned it. I played great in practice. I played great in scrimmages. I beat out the competition. And now I'm a starter and have the opportunity now to lead our team into a new era under Mario Cristobal. So while it would be nice to be told, hey, yeah, we're great. 
we're great with your position. I also know too, if I'm playing 60 snaps of defensive tackle because my backup stinks, that's not good for me. That's ultimately going to get me exposed. So I also acknowledge that them going to the portal to fortify my position, not only is going to make the position group stronger from a depth standpoint, it's also going to take some of the pressure off of me to perform at an insanely high level for 60 snaps a game. When I can give you 45 incredible snaps, I don't know if I can give you 60. Well, if I know the guy that's behind me can also give you 45 great snaps as well, that only makes us better collectively, takes the pressure off of me, gives me a little bit more rest and allows me when I go on the field to put my best foot forward as opposed to playing through exhaustion like so many guys have to do in the fourth quarter of football game. So I think Mario Cristobal is handling it the right way. Hey, you earn your position. We're always going to try to improve. We're always going to try to attract better players. The better players that we bring in, the better it's going to make you. And the better you become as a player will ultimately give you an opportunity to play at the next level and beyond. So that, I think, is understood throughout college football. And if you don't like it, then maybe college football is just not the thing for you. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, next question comes from Paul in Alabama. With the new transfer portal window open, which title contender do you think will make a move and who would they go after? Well, I think that there's a bunch. Um, if you already listened to Nick Saban, we'll start with, with Alabama for a moment. Of course, they're going to be in the, in the national title picture. If you listen to Nick Saban, you listen to people around the program, there is a growing sentiment that if a guy hops into the portal at quarterback, they would strongly consider maybe adding somebody to that quarterback competition. Right now, it's Jalen Milrow. It's Ty Simpson. It's anybody's guess as to whether or not the freshman Eli Holstein and others are, are really involved in the competition. But at this point, and granted, all of that can go away with the terrific A-Day game performance, which comes up here in a few days on Saturday. Ty Simpson goes out or Jalen Milrow goes out and they ball out. Maybe that totally changes things. But for instance, if a great elite difference-making quarterback finds their way into the portal, I think that there's going to be a few different teams that would potentially consider bringing him in. You referenced national championship contenders. I don't know how many would be in hot pursuit of a quarterback spot, but I think teams that are trying to get through to the next level, I think a Florida would be all over a quarterback if he were to hop into the portal. Uh, I think you could find a, a scenario where, um, I mean, day one star, I think Auburn would be another team that would be really intrigued by adding a quarterback in the portal. Um, a handful of others. I think Penn State. I know Drew Aller might be the guy, but, you know, a little shaky and, and have some things that need to figure out. I think Penn State, if a difference maker jumped in the portal, 
they would consider it possibly at least adding to make that competition a real thing. So uh, I think all those teams would be active in the portal. It just depends on who goes in because you don't want to disrupt the chemistry that you have in the quarterback room. But if you could immediately improve your situation by bringing in a guy that has starting experience that has played at a high level and he could potentially take the reins of your quarterback position, uh, I think that's something you always got to keep your eye open for. All right, we welcome in the star of Friday night's festivities around UCF's campus, baseball player by day, football player by night, John Rice Plumley, starting quarterback. What's going on, man? How are we doing? Uh, not a whole lot. I'm doing I'm doing really good. Uh, rested up, needed some rest after the big day, but uh, doing really good, to say the least. Well, the video was hilarious because you you get in, you can hear the metal spikes on the cement like we all had as baseball players growing up, getting on the back of a golf cart, checking the phone a little bit. Why not? Straight into the locker room, dressed and ready, and you go out to prepare for the spring game. So explain to me, is that just a day in the life? Is that standard operating procedure for you or what? It is... Uh... It's not – doesn't usually happen like that every day. Uh, usually uh, days for me look like uh, in the mornings I'm going to wake up, do football uh, activities, as, you, as I'm sure you know what those include, you know, meetings, breakfast, getting taped, all those things. Um, then after that, you're going straight out to practice. Um, after practice, getting showered up, getting a little treatment, um, grabbing some lunch, and then uh, heading over to baseball. It usually starts about 1 o'clock. And then um, after baseball, usually 4.35, get to the house, do a little homework, eat a little dinner, and then uh, sleep like a rock and get to repeat it the next day. Um, so the, the festivities of the one-day event were a little different because they were all in the afternoon. So I had the morning to, to you know, get ready, make sure my hair looks good, that kind of good stuff. <laughs> Naturally, a baseball player, why would you – I mean, you got to have the flow looking at good out of the back of the, back of the lid. I understand that. So help me understand, in an era when everyone has to choose between one sport or the other, you found a way to do both and do both at a really high level. Was that at all like a determination of yours as you got to college in Oxford saying, I really want to play both and I don't want to choose? What what goes into that decision? Uh, yeah, uh, I, it started early uh, when I started getting recruited to come to, to play sports in high school. I was first offered to play football. Um, and then at the time, you know, first scholarship offer, man, it was unbelievable. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I would be the water boy if you, if you told me to, I was so excited to do it. Um, and so then going through recruiting, I, uh, get to a spot and they said, Hey man, we want you to play quarterback, which is ultimately what I wanted to do. It was a smaller school at the time. Um, and so I called back all the bigger schools and I said, Hey guys, I'm, I want to play quarterback and they're offering me to play quarterback. This is what I want to do. Um, and so they were like, we understand uh, all that. Um, I play a football season, and then a lot of them call back and say, hey, well, we want you as a quarterback now. Uh, we'd love to get you on campus. And then another small school calls back and says, hey, man, we want you to play quarterback, and we want you to play baseball. And I said, man, you, I'm sold, man. That sounds awesome. And so, of course, I call everybody <laughs> back. Hey, guys, uh, let me play quarterback and play baseball. I, I want to do it. And so then they all call back and say, hey, man, we, we would love for you to do both. And so um, it's something that I kind of got to – I guess, talk my way into a little bit. Um, but I'm so thankful that I get to do it. Um, if I had to choose between one of the two, I don't know which one I'd pick. Um, but I'm super, super blessed to be able to do both. Doesn't sound like you need to pick. I mean, you go two for three. 
including a couple RBIs and a 12-3 win. You leave after the seventh inning. You make, you said it's seven minutes, by the way. Is that accurate from the time you walked off the diamond to the point in which you were <laughs> able to go out onto the field? I'm not buying that for a second. Seven minutes Listen, to get world, changed between the two? World record. World record. I, I, thought, I don't think anybody has done the, the, uh, the, the baseball game, the spring game. Uh, so I might be the only one to do it. So I'm going to claim my world record that that one's that, that needs to be my name in the record books. <laughs> no, but um, they said it was seven minutes. I don't know how long it was. It was quick um, because as you saw in the video, I'm running to the golf cart. Um, we get to the golf cart and then get to the locker room and um, all the it, it was awesome. I mean, it takes a ton of people to make something like that happen. Right. So the coaches have to coordinate. Um, Kenny, my, my buddy that <laughs> was driving the golf cart, he was ready to roll. Um, the equipment guys, Brad and CJ, having my stuff ready over at football, you know, uh, just for me to be able to slip on. Um, and so it took a lot of people for it to make happen. But, um, hey, I'm glad that we got to do it. And that, that's what I was told. Seven minutes is what I was told, and so I'm sticking to it. Why not? If it was 17, it doesn't matter. Speaking of 17, you went 10 to right. 17, 230, a couple touchdowns, including a 70-yarder in the actual spring game itself. Do you have to adjust? Because I remember when I was throwing a baseball, it was almost like a little bit of a different release. You know, football, you're like this. Baseball, you're a little bit more forward. Do you have to get a couple throws in when going from baseball to football just to like find that release point a little bit? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I got, uh, obviously, you know, run out of the locker room, get to the sideline. I grab a football and, I'm you know, first thing you want to do is start throwing and warming up. Um, and for me, just like just like you, it's a little bit. There's a little bit something different about the stroke, you know, from football to baseball. And so uh, uh, when I grabbed the football to start throwing it, um, they, the first couple came out funny. They were spinning funny for sure, throwing them like a baseball. But it took me a couple throws, but eventually got back into the rhythm of it, um, and then uh, got right into the game and, and, and went from there. Oh, well, you guys had a great first year. Obviously, a very exciting year coming up this year as you guys transition into the Big 12. You've played Power 5 football. UCF's played at a Power 5 level for a really long time. What have the guys asked you about this transition and the level of competition that y'all are now going to face on a week-to-week basis? Uh, yeah, um, we're obviously super stoked at, at UCF, and the guys and the football team is super, super excited um, to be going into the Big 12. We're going to be, um, I think, have a lot of success, uh, especially with the team that we have. Um and the offense that we're have with Coach Henshaw and Coach Malzahn and, and the, the talent that we got uh, around is is uh, pretty special, I think. Um, and a lot of those guys, uh, Kobe Hudson, for example, came from Auburn. Uh, Javon Baker came from Alabama. Um, and, and so a couple of those guys kind of have already have an understanding um, of, of, I guess, playing Power 5 football. Um, but like you said, UCF has been playing at a high level for, for a long time now. And so I think guys kind of have a grasp of the, the expectation uh, that we're trying to, to um, exceed, you know, and trying to set, set the standard. Um, but from what I, when, what, what I have felt, um, it's nothing but excitement, um, and the guys are ready to roll going into it. Now that spring football is officially put in the books, what would you say is the one thing that Coach Malzahn stressed to you guys about what you need to focus on or make a priority over the course of the summer when the players really take ownership over the team itself. Yeah, uh, you hit it right on the head. At, at this point in time, it's kind of when the coaches, uh, their last coaches, little hoorah, you know, and then they have to step back for a long period of time, um, and it turns into nothing but players. It's player, it's player run. Um, and, and I feel like uh, the best teams 
um, get the most work done it, in this part of the season. Um, and I'm really, really excited because I, I know that we have some really, really good uh, leaders on this team. Um, starting with each position group, we got older guys like Lakahi uh, with the O line, and obviously Kobe and Javon with the receivers. Um, and on the defensive side of the ball, uh, drop um, and some some older guys on the back end as well, like Jarvis Ware. And so um, a couple of receive, I mean, a couple of leaders to, to name them. But um, I think leadership at this point of the season really means a lot moving forward. And finally, we'll get you out of here with this. Uh, look, you're from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I grew up in Big 12 country. So, like, we kind of switched places. Like, the Big 12 was, like, my go-to, man, from Dallas-Fort Worth. You grew up deep in the SEC footprint. But now you get to play against some of those teams in the Big 12. And I know you've looked at the schedule. You go to Kansas State. You go to Oklahoma. Baylor comes to the bounce house. I mean, you get a bunch of neat games in your own backyard as well. So is there a game that you're just really excited about experiencing, knowing that you're kind of jumping into a new league and, and your teammates are going to have this opportunity and platform for the first time? Um, yeah, uh, they're, obviously looking at the schedule, there's a couple that are that you're really excited to go to. I'm excited to kind of see the stadiums of some of these, you know, and be able to tell my kids one day, hey, I got to play there. Um, and hopefully tell them I got to have a, a good game there as well, you know. So, um, but uh, as always, you know, you know the answer. It's the it's the next one. You know, it's 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 the first one, the opener uh, with Boise, and uh, we're we're super super stoked to to get it rolling. And then from there, you know how it is. It's like chopping wood uh, week by week. And so, um, but there there are some games that you got circled. Like, hey man, those those are going to be cool to go to Oklahoma, like you said, Kansas State. Um, going to be awesome places to see. Um, really get you fired up and excited about it for sure. Well, it'll be awesome, man. We're excited for you. You got Kent State, Boise, all kinds of great games to look forward to next year. Have a great rest of the baseball season. I don't think I need to tell you that based on the performances recently, but we look forward to seeing you in the summer and fall camp, my friend. Sounds like a plan. Appreciate y'all. God bless. All right. Great show today. Really enjoyed Visiting with John Rice Plumley, what an impressive kid, man. Just an awesome story. Great baseball player, an accomplished baseball player, but now, of course, really taking ownership of this transition for UCF. A big year coming up for the Knights, so an exciting time in and around Orlando. Very, very exciting stuff as they continue to move towards their first season in the Big 12. Great job going through the trends too, man. Some of those, I'm telling you, I'm just not sure I see those things coming to a close anytime soon. Few, maybe they end this year, but I don't know, man. Some of those are pretty eye-opening. Thanks to Saturday Down South for the idea there too. Really good stuff by Connor O'Gara going through and finding some of those trends. It was a great discussion on some of those points. And thanks again to all of you that submitted some of your questions to the mailbag. We will continue to get to those here in the days and weeks to come. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.